755 is real with David O'Brien and Eric O'Flaherty. It is on the air now. Hey everybody, welcome back to a new edition of 755 is Real. Producer Cam here with you. We have a live room podcast for you guys. Great turnout today in the Athletic app. Excellent questions all around. David and Eric took your questions in real time for those who aren't familiar with the live rooms and answered your Braves-related queries. Make sure you join us in the future. In order to find out when we'll be hosting the live rooms, make sure to find David and Eric on Twitter, at D-O'BrienATL and at eof 34 Also, make sure to subscribe to us on Apple, Spotify, Overcast, wherever you get your podcasts. We usually mention when we'll be hosting the rooms. In addition, also go subscribe to us on YouTube. Made a post there this morning about when we would have the live room. So make sure to follow us on all those platforms so you'll be notified when we host the live rooms. As always, thank you guys for tuning in. We appreciate the support. And here's David and Eric. All right, John S., what do you got for us? Yeah, what are uh, what are some of your favorite superstitions that guys would have when on when on a winning streak like you are right now? Man, it's everything, you know. Putting on the certain sock first for me, it was always um, I did everything in sets of threes. So if I wash my hands, I grab three paper towels. You know, I mean, it's <laughs> funny you buy it, man, and then you still give it up. You know, the same, and then stick with them, but. I kind of stopped being superstitious when I realized it didn't really make a difference, but some guys are religious with them. Doing, doing everything in threes. Isn't that something, isn't that more OCD than superstitious, dude? I don't know. I just, I just, uh, I did it one time and had a good game and stuck with it my whole career. But I mean, obviously you have bad days too and still keep doing it. Yeah. I've, I've I've heard seen guys do like you said just about everything, man. Including guys who take the same route to the ballpark every day, even if it takes them through traffic and they know it or whatever, they have to go the same exact route that they've yeah. been on through the street, and obviously eat the same meal every day. You know, um, yeah, everything. It only you know it, it turns into a problem when you start accumulating all these things that you have to do perfectly. Yeah. You can't you know you can't pitch well that night, and all of a sudden it's it turns into if one thing goes wrong, you start thinking negatively. So <laughs> gets a little hairy. Uh, Jeremy P. Hello. How you doing, man? Hey guys, Dave. I think everybody. I, I think everybody was scared to come on hearing you. Uh, you know, before I I don't want to be the first question. <laughs> uh, with everything that's going on. Um, <laughs> no, but, uh, you know, Schnitt gets a lot of, uh, a lot of flack, but, uh, he, he moved up several notches in the manager of the year race if he's the impetus for that team meeting that's, that's led the uh, team to go on the winning streak. I mean, is you have, I don't think you said a lot about that, Dave. Um, you know, what, what do you know about that? And is Snicker the one? That um, you know, is it was the person who caught everybody together. Yeah. yeah, the reason that I haven't said much about it because I was going to write about it yesterday, but as it turns out, it really wasn't. It wasn't a bit, or I shouldn't say it wasn't a big deal because they've won six in a row since, and you can't just totally dismiss it. But it wasn't very interesting in that it was just Smith. It was just Smith that got up to the ballpark on Wednesday morning in Arizona, and Snit called a team meeting. He didn't yell because as I when I asked Olson that he kind of laughed. He said, "Well, unless you guys know Snip better than I, I Snip's not the kind of guy to do that." So it wasn't yelling or anything like that. All he talked about was, "There's a lot of season left, guys. We got to refocus because we're not playing the kind of ball baseball that we can lately. 
we're making too many mistakes, shooting ourselves in the foot. We got to be, we got to be more focused going forward. But he said it in the, in the normal tone of voice and all that. He just kind of, you know, let them know by the, by the sheer fact that he called a team meeting. He let them know there was some urgency. He didn't have to, you know, yell and all shout and all that. Um, but nobody else spoke. It wasn't like a bunch of players stood up and said, yeah, we got to do, you know, so there really wasn't much to it other than, you know, that you can express in words, you know, other than to get a transcript of what was said. But from everybody I talked to yesterday, that really wasn't a dramatic uh, come to Jesus meeting, you know, it was, Hey, let's have a meeting. I need to, you guys need to refocus because we're really not playing the kind of ball we're capable of playing. And there's a lot of season left. You know, I, I don't say, uh, um, I, I don't want to just say it was total coincidence that they've won since six in a row since then, but they lost two games in Arizona that they should have won against a pretty mediocre team. And then they went, and won the last one, which they, you know, they won easily. They pitched great. They played. Every, they played a great game that day. Best game they played all year, maybe, other than a game against the Dodgers. And then they went to Colorado and pulled off something that they've never done before, and very few teams do: is sweep four from the Rockies. So, you know, but that a lot of the things that were kind of it was almost like correcting itself in that they had they got no breaks and they and they bullpen collapsed several times and extra innings and all that going up to that. So they. Everything it did in Colorado was kind of the uh, the uh, reverse of what had been going on. So um, I, I don't know that the team meeting was that big a deal. I think it helped them clear their heads and play a great game against Arizona and get a good flight to Colorado. And they followed that up by doing what they needed to do out there. So we'll see. We'll see. Uh, it's obviously going to get a lot of attention if they keep going and, and, and this and this streak really gets long. But uh, we know how fast that can change. For me, I just I never understand why Snake gets so much flack. Exactly. Um, I mean, he's won four straight division titles in a World Series. You know, it's it's easy to criticize somebody's in-game moves, and most of the time, there's something more to it than than what you see in a vacuum. Um, but these are the things that make you a great manager: is knowing when to step on the guys, you know, step on the gas a little bit, tell the guys, hey, it's it's time to kick it into gear. And for me, th- that was perfect timing because they lost games they should have won. And and you can't win divisions and World Series and everything. Uh, losing games, you're supposed to win. So for me, he just had really good timing with that. And what he's best at and what most managers are best at, especially in baseball, is managing the clubhouse. And I think that was just a really good example of it, knowing when to push that button. Yeah, I think him and Bobby Cox both are the best trait for both of them. They uh, obviously they they did some other things a little differently than each other, but the best trait for both of them, to me, hands down, is the that fact that they are such incredible people per people yep. persons, and they manage a clubhouse with that with those people skills that they have. They use to so adroitly manage a clubhouse. The two of them, um, I've never seen anybody manage a clubhouse any better than the two of them. Jim Leland was right there with them as far as that's concerned. But these two guys have really both been uh, great at managing a clubhouse and having guys want to play for you, not turn on you when things go south, you know, not start backstabbing and infighting. And, you know, Joe Madden got fired yesterday. They had a 12-game losing streak after being the toast of baseball literally two weeks ago. Yeah. It looked like Perry was a slam dunk executive of the year. Madden was probably manager of the year at that point. Yep. Two weeks later, he's fired for a 12-game losing streak. 
the Braves haven't lost more than two in a row this year. So while they had not won more than two in a row before this six-game streak, it's important to note they also haven't lost two in a row. And I think that kind of goes back to having great team chemistry and things never get things never go uh, get, get get ugly in a clubhouse and where guys are, are pissed off coming to work and don't want to be there. Yeah, and you set that example as a manager. You know, you have a reliever that blew the game last night. And you walk him by in the hall, walk by him in the hallway. Treat him like it's normal. You know, you don't you don't treat guys according to their performance. And and what that does is it it kind of it keeps things from amplifying to a fact that they, they become a problem. Um, so I think I think Snit does a great job at that. Um, Bobby would walk by you in a hallway and just tell you way to go. You had no clue what you did. You know, I mean, I haven't pitched in three days, and Bobby just walks by in the hallway, way to go, oh. And you're like, you know, you don't really understand why he's saying that, but it feels a lot better than him not saying hi to you or, or big leaguing you or something, you know. So Bobby was great at that, and, and obviously Snit learned a ton from him. So I, I just think it's a good this, – this meeting is just another example of him knowing kind of when to yeah. get on his guys a little bit and straighten things out, and, and, it, and it paid off. Hey, there was a question on here. Uh, somebody, uh, there's a question that's some, not not somebody that came on, but somebody that just asked about uh, uh, Michael Harris the second, and whether when when Rosario comes back, should Harris keep his center field job? Damn straight, yes. Harris yes. plays like this. He's not going <laughs> ever back to the main uh, to the minor leagues. Now, I'm not predicting that he's going to continue to play like this, but he doesn't even have to hit like he's hitting. If he hits 240. And plays the kind of defense we're seeing from him, then he warrants staying every and staying in the majors yep. and playing center field every day, because there is nobody on the team that's even close to as good as him in center. Uh, Acuna is really good in center, but he's nowhere near in center as good as he is in right. And Acuna is nowhere near as good in center as as Michael Harris is. Michael Harris is elite in center field. I mean, he's we've already seen him save runs. Multiple oh. runs, and he's only been up for ten games. That catch he made last night. Oh my god, phenomenal! I, I, because, and this is what was great about it is you could see the flight of the ball, and you could see him running after it. You know, a lot of the a lot of the plays you see, the camera cuts to them, and they've already taken twenty steps, and you just lay, you, you just cut to them laying out and diving. So it looks like a great catch, but what you could appreciate about the catch last night was it was a great route. As soon as the camera switched to him, he was already at full speed. And you could see the flight of that line drive tailing away from him. Yeah. And if you're watching on TV, you're thinking there's no chance he gets to that ball. But because he took a perfect route and he's fast as shit, he runs that thing down. And, you know, if he laid out and, yeah. and made this reaching grab, it'd be all over SportsCenter. But because yeah. he's so fast and took a perfect route, that play's going to get way less attention right. than it deserves. Because I thought there was no chance he was catching that ball off the bat. Yeah, there was a guy last night that made two great catches that were shown on Sports Center, and both of them were diving catches, like yep. say Jim Edmonds used to make. And you never, you didn't see Andrew did lay out sometimes, of course. But most of the time, Andrew, like last night with, with Michael Harris, was his routes and his instincts are so incredible. And the speed was so good that Andrew usually got to balls and was underneath them that nine out of ten other guys would be diving for and still might not catch, obviously. But, yeah, the difference in laying out and making the highlight reels, Michael Harris isn't interested in that, neither was Andrew. And, uh, yeah, that catch last night, even though he didn't lay out for it in, left center, in right center field, 
was as good as you're going to see in the majors this year, I think, other than, you know, some guy going five feet over the wall to rob a home run. But just as far as difficulty of the catch, man, it doesn't even show up uh, metrically as, as difficult as it was because, you know, his speed is so good and he got to it and, may, and caught it on the run. But it was phenomenal. And he made another catch coming in last night that was phenomenal. And he's made three or four of those now that the Andrew catch is coming in that I just go, wow. People don't realize how hard that catch is. Yeah, he's. I'm sold on him defensively. You know, I mean, I'd heard everything you'd said, and I'd watched him lay out for a few balls and seen him come in a few times. But that getting to that ball last night, oof, it just it shocked me watching on TV. I didn't think he had a chance at it off the bat, and he that's ran what that thing said. down. That's what Snit said, and uh, that's what Kyle Wright said. It was the most. It was it was one of the greatest catches he's ever seen. And me Kyle too. said. Kyle said he had turned and was going to to uh to back up third base. He thought there's yeah. no way he could get. He turned and then he said, "I looked over my shoulder and saw, oh my god, he's going to catch it." Yeah, yeah, that was that was crazy. All right, we got John W. Oh, uh, somebody, hey, ask about Huascar. He threw seven no hit innings last night at Gwinnett. By the way, I don't know if you were asking because of that or if you're asking how he's doing, but he threw seven no hit innings last night. So that's certainly progress for him. One of the theories I've heard about uh, uh, Duvall was that the center field was beating him up too much, and that may have been affecting him at the plate. Is there any truth to that or any thought of that? I think I think there is something to it could be wearing him down some because he's a little bigger than your typical, a little older to be that big. Uh, there are some bigger seven, uh, center fielders. I mean, Buxton's a big guy. But Duvall's kind of a thick guy, you know, I mean, and I don't mean fat. I mean, he's just thick. He's a muscular guy. He's not built like a center fielder for sure, um, but yet he runs well enough to play a decent, a good center field. And at his age, being diabetic, playing in the heat, it could wear him down for sure. And I think we saw that last year when he was playing every day down the stretch. He was able to do it in the postseason because he get those days off, so it doesn't affect you. And it's cooler that time of the year, too. And he played in domes at Houston and blah, blah, blah. But uh, um, playing every day, you know, in a homestand in, in – in, uh, in Atlanta at his size and he's not old, but he's not young. And I think he's better suited. He plays, he plays, he plays a, uh, a plus defense in the corners. I think he plays good defense in center. And I think there is something to that. I do not attribute his terrible start to the season to being tired from playing center field. It could affect him. It could affect him some for sure. But I think he's just struggled at the plate. I don't think it's all attributable to that. Some of it might be. Who knows? I don't think there's any way to measure that. Do you have any update on Tyler Yates? He's getting closer. He's on the he's on the, the uh, timetable that they had for him uh, before the season, which was August. You know, they thought they thought that uh, he could join the team in August, and I think they still think that. Uh, so, but he's he's not had setbacks, any significant setbacks that I'm aware of. And he keeps making progress. But until he gets closer, Snit doesn't really talk about guys until they're real close or they're ready to come back. So, But they still plan fully intent for him to be back in, in, after the All-Star break. Eric, let's hear from today's sponsors. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep. You heard that right. 
You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. All right, we got Soul S. Soul, what's up? Hey guys, how you doing? Uh, a couple yeah, quick things. First of, first of all, just uh, follow up on the Michael Harris thing. What a great addition he has been to the outfield. It's it's kind of fun. Early in the season, literally the ball hit the outfield, I kind of hold my breath. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And uh, with him, him and Acuna out there, it's just a calming effect. It totally reminds me of Andrew Jones, like you're talking about. Um, just a quick question, though, on Dansby Swanson. I know a lot of people wonder the chances of re-signing Dansby and stuff like that or looking elsewhere. Um, it appears to me, I mean, just from the eye test, I mean, going back a couple of years now, even with Freddie, when Freddie was the unofficial captain on the team, it seemed like Dansby, to me, he seemed like a captain on the field. And I wonder if the Braves are maybe considering letting him go. Does that mean, I mean, the Braves might – be looking at another kind of um, political or not political, but just um, public relations hit, you know, with the whole thing with Freddie letting him go. Because I think Dan, he seems like he's a leader in the clubhouse. I mean, is that not the case? He is the captain of the infield. That's for sure. And, and Austin Riley said it in the story that I wrote a couple of days ago. He said he's the captain of the infield, especially with Freddie gone. But it's easier right. for the captain of the infield to be the shortstop anyway. You know, I mean, he, he runs the show. The guys up the middle run the defense and are the most important defenders. Um, with Freddie there, it was a little different. I mean, obviously, in the, but but Dansby is the captain of the infield now. And, yes, he's a leader in the clubhouse. They don't have a really outspoken type loud leader in the clubhouse. But Dansby's one of those guys that leads by example and he's yeah. such a stable guy and is always there to offer advice to the young players and older right. players, too. So, he certainly is one of the – if you had to point to two or three guys in the clubhouse, he is certainly one of them. And, you know, we talked about this in the, in the last podcast. I, I I love Grissom, the shortstop prospect coming up. He could be a couple of way, couple years away, though. And I love Langoliers coming up, and I was shocked when they traded him. So – but these things have a way of working out. And, and as Eric is one to kind of uh, keep me uh, – to keep me grounded sometimes and not getting too hyped over prospects because <laughs> – so many of them don't work out that you think are sure things, you know. I mean, we thought Pache was a sure thing. I Honestly, right. after seeing him in the NLCS, as his bats were professional, and I thought he was a pretty much a sure thing. I thought he would hit at least well enough mm-hmm. with his defense to be a real good major leaguer. Well, so far we've been proven wrong on that, so we'll see. Grissom, to me, looks really good as a shortstop, but again, it could be a couple of years away. Dansby's a sure thing because he is what he is, and he's a really solid major league player and is above average player now because his defense is has gotten better and better and better to the point where he's top two or three in, in baseball in defense at shortstop, which is arguably the most important position on the field. Hey, I agree with I agree with that, and not only that, if you look at his numbers last year, I mean he was a top tier in shortstops in the league and his offensive numbers too. I mean, the guy can hit. I mean, yeah, he goes he's streaky as all hell, 
but right. he hit. He's, you know, 27 home runs last year. And there's still hope that he can be less streaky, too, because he's still he's still developing as a hitter. And right. he has there's no reason to believe that when he goes through these month long uh, stretches where he's on fire, there's no reason to believe that he can't kind of even that out, over, uh, you know, with, with a little more experience and figure some things out and not and, and, and shorten these slumps that he has. Because most guys, as they get to be his age and with six years in the big leagues, do learn to kind of shorten out those those slumps some where they're not for three and four weeks at a time. But uh, I, 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 you can win and we don't have to say this hypothetically. You can win it theoretically that he can win it. You can win a championship with him as your shortstop. They did win a championship. Yeah. Shortstop. Right. Not only that, but he was a huge contributor to that championship. So I'm, I'm, I'm in the, in the sign, the re-sign Dansby camp. And I haven't always been because his, his offense has been kind of poor at times, but, just watching him on a daily basis, especially with Freddie gone and yeah. watching the player he's become, not to mention just the, 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 the person that he is, what he means for your team. You can't, like, like I said last podcast, you can't just keep lopping off guys from the culture and expect to keep adding guys and never disrupt it. You've right. gotten away with it so far with Freddie to a degree. You know, you're a lesser team without Freddie, but Olsen is a great guy and the one guy you could have got to replace him. I don't know that you can just get another guy without because if you're going to replace Dansby's production uh, defensively and get a better offensive player, you're going to have to spend twice as much as you probably yeah. might have to spend to re-sign Dansby. Assuming Dansby part, would re-sign for a reasonable rate, which I, you know, with his agent, you don't know. Well, that's what got me thinking that because I mean, it seems like no one would admit it, of course, you know, on on camera. But it seems to me like at least the first two months of the season struggles could at least in some degrees be, you know, contributed to that leader in the, you know, of the team being gone and the team kind of reassessing itself and finding their way. Oh, there's no doubt that Freddie's absence has, has con- contributed to them taking a while to get going. I mean, there's no doubt in my mind. And Olsen has done. You know, he's pretty much lived up to all the potential. Uh, yep. You know, I know he had a slump, too, and that can be totally attributed to switching not just teams, but switching leagues, coming home, playing the other side. I mean, there's a lot of in the pressure of doing that, but now he's playing like he's supposed to play. But cool. Freddie is guys. the most consistent player on the team. I mean, and, and one of the two or three best players in baseball overall. And I think, of course, they've missed Freddie so far. Not to mention with runners in scoring position, Freddie's a beast. Duvall is too, but he hasn't done that this year. So when you don't have either of the two guys that led the team in that category last year, it hurt. Yep. Cool. Thanks, Thanks Cole. Yep. Christopher H. Wait, Hi, wait. guys. Thanks for doing this. Yeah. Um, my question was, with Colin McHugh going down with uh, COVID, is there any concern with the protocols that uh, that potentially could spread to other players? and um, you know, because we've seen it with other teams, they've had issues with, uh, you know, COVID spreading throughout the team and then knocking out a bunch of the guys on the roster. I think there's always a concern. The Braves have been have proven to be better than almost every other team and that they lost nobody during the protocol. When 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 teams were having to postpone games, Braves didn't have to postpone any because of their own guys. And they were one of the few teams that didn't. We saw teams lose whole series because of that. Cardinals, Marlins, a lot of teams were going through that. So I don't think that they've slipped in their protocols. I just think they're at the stage now where teams aren't having to wear a mask and all that, that it's really easy for a guy to test positive, even if he's not very symptomatic. I think 
uh, Colin has some symptoms, which is why he, he called it in. Um, so, and he tested positive, but I mean, we all know in your daily life, you're not, you can't be in a bubble unless you're in yep. a bubble, unless they're, unless they're doing it and they're not playing in a bubble right now. So you are going to have interactions and he's got two little kids too. So it's really easy for somebody to test positive, even if they're vaccinated. So I'm not really worried about it yet. If it happened to a couple more guys, I would be. But as long as it's just one guy testing positive and only missing a couple of days, like last year, Nuke missed a couple of days. I don't think anybody really noticed because he wasn't very good. But and Colin McHugh is a huge piece of the bullpen, so he gets so he gets sick and people or he gets uh, COVID and, pe- and people understandably are concerned. But you know what I mean? It's it's really easy for one guy to get it. It's not a big deal as long as they do it right, keep him away from the team. And I will add that yesterday in the clubhouse for the first time all year and for the first time since last year when they uh, when they let us in there, the uh, the uh, PR staff. Because one of them tested positive on the road trip, the PR staff, the trainers, and all of them had had masks on yesterday. Only only people that did not are the players who are tested like all the time. Okay, great, thanks, guys. Yep, Victor M. I was just curious about like Strider's second start versus his first start. He had been um, throwing the changeup more in the in the D backs game, but you know the Colorado effect might have hurt his slider. I was wondering what his feel was for his changeup. And then, um, yes. So, how how you, how do you evaluate that? And then, what do you think about him being the fifth starter long term with Soroka coming back after the All Star break? Well, I don't. You know, I don't look at that start with with. I don't put too much weight on anything that happens for a pitcher in Colorado. Um, you know, it's he didn't use his changeup much in that start, which was a good. It, it was a good pitch for him in that start against the Diamondbacks. That kind of surprised um, me. Well, you know, you can throw a changeup in, in normal air and it does what it's supposed to. And then you can go throw it in Colorado and it cuts uh-huh. three feet. And so it might have just been a situation where he didn't feel like he could control that pitch. Right. And had not to mention he hasn't thrown it a ton. So it could be right. a day where you don't have feel for it in general. And you combine those two factors, yeah. you know, kind of an off day with it. And then Colorado's air. Um, it, it's really easy to just ditch that pitch and, and go back to what you're comfortable with. Um, and the same thing with his fastball control. You know, the the it, it's so strange when you throw balls in Colorado. They they do what they don't do what they're supposed to. You know, you could throw a sinker and it cuts. So it, it's like driving on the other side of the road or sitting on the other side of the car when you're driving. You know, I mean, it's there's just this huge lack of comfort. And in a Colorado start, you just try to get through it and figure out what you have that day and battle. And I didn't mm-hmm. think he did a terrible job of that. And obviously, his velocity was still there. But I'd look more forward to his next start to really try to evaluate him as a starter and see if he has that changeup again or what he can bring. And anything that happens in Colorado is just, you, as a pitcher, you're just glad it's over. Yeah, I didn't really think about that. But you're, but yeah, he'd only thrown he'd thrown less than ten changeups before that start at Arizona. So if he's throwing that changeup in the bullpen and it's not going where he where he thinks it's going to where he thinks he can command it or you know have just any forget idea it. Where, yeah, he might have just said, "Screw this, I'm not coming. This is my third pitch, and I'm just." I've just honed it in the offseason in normal conditions, so I can't throw it here and be comfortable with it yet. So I didn't really think about that. But uh, I don't know, man. I think they face a, a – first, got to see what Soroka does when he comes back. He's throwing 93-95 right now off the mound, though, Damn. what I'm told. So that's a real good sign. Uh, obviously, there's still a huge difference in getting in games when he hadn't done it in about two years and, and facing hitters. So, But if he comes back and you got the current four that are – 
obviously locked in. If he comes back in the second half and he's ready to go and they don't feel like, you know, a couple of guys need extra rest down the stretch, you know, like Soroka, if they, if they think he could use it or, or Charlie, you know, at his age and all that. If they don't think they need a guy extra rest and, and, and uh, having six guys in there, because you have off days, normal off days in the second half, I would almost feel like you could get more impact and more games from Strider in the role, in the role that he had before going to – and I know it gets everybody excited with that first start because it was terrific. But, man, he was so effective in those two-inning relief stints or one-inning, in high, and he could be used in high-leverage situations. So I think it kind of depends on what we see with Matzik when he does come back, uh, when Yates is ready, what he offers. But down the stretch, if you have Soroka and he's going – and he's ready and he's going well and he's solid in that fifth starter spot, I think you have to consider moving Strider back to the bullpen role, depending on what you get from other guys. Um, what do we What do we think about Jacob Webb coming back? How he's been doing, and then also Charlie Morton has been, you know, struggling. He has a pretty high ERA so far this season. Is he addressing that? What exactly is going on with him? Even though he's been, you know, toughing it through some of the outings recently. Well, I mean, of course he's addressing, and he's thirty eight years old. He's been around a long time. There's not really anything that, you know, the pitching coach is going to be able to, I mean, it is what he is. I mean, Charlie, after that first inning in, in Colorado was pretty damn good. So I didn't think he was going to be able to make it through the first inning. He goes 41 pitches. I thought it was a pretty terrific outing considering how bad that first inning was. And he figured something out and got his command because after that, he couldn't throw a strike in that first inning. He could not find the zone. He couldn't command his fastball, but he ended up having a decent outing. They won the game and I don't think that's a real big issue with Charlie. He's 38 years old. I mean, he's not got last year. He had an incredible season for someone his age or just about anyone really. But as far as, as he addressing it, there, nobody wants, nobody works harder than that dude. Nobody prepares more than that guy. So he is doing everything possible. It is, it's been weighing on him. I mean, his bad starts were weighing on him. He talked for 30 minutes afterwards about how bad, you know, things were going and how bad he felt about it and how he's disappointed in everybody. And so, yeah, I, I just, he's not a concern. If, if there's any way for him to get turned around, he will. And he's obviously addressing it. Uh, as for, uh, what was your other question? I'm sorry. Oh, uh, Webb was, was pitching pretty poorly in the, in the minor leagues before they got him back. But, you know, coming back here with the pitch coach staff here, they have a good track record with him. They just want to see what they can get. They didn't have to give up much to get him. They needed a guy to fill in. So we'll see if he if he comes in and does something while he's got an opportunity, then he'll stay. If not, then uh, he won't. But they're not, they're not hanging a whole lot of uh, on on that acquisition. They didn't have to spend much to get him back. But we've seen some good stuff from Webb early on. He hasn't been able to recapture that rookie form that he had. But uh, we know he's tough. We know he's fearless. And 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 if he can, if he if the pitching coaches here can help him get back where he was, he can he can help this bullpen because they're battling with a lot of guys down right now or several guys down has Soroka gone to Florida yet somebody asked yes he has uh he went Sunday um I don't think he started pitching in games yet but I will check today to make sure let's take one more question Robert what's up hey guys how y'all doing good I know it's a lot more fun uh these days last time I was on we were talking about Snit and his patience and how uh, it was a rare thing these days. 
you know, Madden and uh, Girardi and everybody else is a testament to that. But one guy is Adam Duvall, and we all know how streaky Adam Duvall can be. Um, and But still, I mean, there's a lot of Braves fans who wanted to drop him off a cliff these first two months, and none of us were loving it. But um, I got him down for about 35 RBI for the next couple of months until he cools off again. What do you guys think? Uh, what's he going to do the rest of this season? Why do you have him down 35 RBI in any particular? Oh, rate? well, what was the stretch he did? Uh, I think he was. Oh, I'm not uh, saying he can't do it, but I'm just saying, or has he done something? Has he? Oh, well, he's getting up? hot, and I think there was a stretch. Uh, I want uh, uh, to say it was either two or three years ago. Yeah, he's where he days. just went on a tear, and yep. he had like 15 home runs. That was you during know, the pandemic uh, year. He was phenomenal. Yeah. He was phenomenal. Remember, he had yeah. the, he had the, he had like a five home run stretch in three games, something like that. Yeah, yeah, crazy. he carried us. Yeah, he can carry an offense when it gets hot, no doubt. And he's got a nose for the RBI, as Snit says. Well, uh, and and I think that's you know, I mean, you know, you keep with a guy, you don't make him uncomfortable, is what we were talking about last time. But you know, Atlanta is such a funny town. Um, Six games not going to, you know, make the difference either. We've got to keep it going, of course, you know, and everybody's got his pencil yeah, in for another championship. On, <laughs> you can't base it on Colorado, what he did in Colorado and facing Chassin, who he's got incredible numbers against Chassin. So we'll see. I mean, he be, he should be back in the lineup tonight. He was just out with triceps cramps last night. I don't know, man. I guess it says something to be how, how big he is that he had triceps cramps. <laughs> well, <laughs> you don't get too I, many of those, Dave. <laughs> no, I don't get triceps cramps, man, from writing. But uh, I, I love Adam Duvall, man. He's a great dude. And uh, I really hope he gets it going again because, when he, like you said, when he's hot, the guy can really, really hit, take a middle-of-the-order spot and drive in so many runs. He hasn't been on one of those runs yet this year, but it's we're we're one-third of the way in. Good thing for him is there's not a lot of pressure on him yet. Now, when uh, you know when they get Rosario back, that's going to change. But that could be another month. We don't know when Rosario's going to be back yet. He's, he is shagging balls in the outfield, but he's still there's no time double yet for his return. But until he gets back, there's really not a lot of pressure because as much as Contreras is a terrific hitter, he's not an outfielder. And it's hard to get him acclimated in the outfield, as we saw in the middle of the season. They sit him out there. And the first inning, the ball's hit to him. The ball finds you, as they say. And, yep. and his defense is below average, well below average and as an outfielder. Well, I mean, that'll be a good problem to have, Dave. And uh, we're going to need it because, like, we know that Adam is streaky. And sometimes, you know, we're going to need to, you know, yeah, have so somebody else slot in. So he's going to need to produce between now and when Rosario gets back. He's going to need to go on one of those runs that he has. Well, you know, Denver is Denver, but it, it also can help a team, you know, you know, just get that little spark. Oh, no doubt for the team. The, the Colorado sweep was huge, man. I mean, it's huge. Nobody goes to Colorado and sweeps four games. I was, Ever. Talking, to Jack, I was talking to Kenley Jansen about it last night because he did it. He went three times a year with the Dodgers. He goes, man, that just don't happen, man. Crazy things happen in, at Coors Field. And teams don't sweep four games from there. So he was Ever. there. <laughs> Loving it. It's been fun to watch. Yeah. Thanks, Robert. Thank you. All right, guys. We really appreciate it. This has been cool. Yep, we'll do it again. 755 is real. <laughs>